please remain standing as we pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray that every, every Sunday. Come, Holy Spirit. And Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, when the gift of the Spirit was given to the church, we pray it again with renewed intensity and vigor. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this congregation, Lord. Do a mighty work among us. Lord, do not let the preaching of your word be a dead word, but make it come to life in this place, Lord. We pray that the power of the Spirit that was poured out in your church on the day of Pentecost would continue to flow through this congregation and through this preacher this morning. Lord, if there is anything here that would separate us from God's word, any power or any principality that would seek to disrupt or confuse or to bring anything between us and the clear reception of your word, Lord, we, we now call upon you in the power of your spirit to drive it out, Father. Make it go away and give us listening ears and open hearts. Lord, I pray for an anointing as the preacher of the word of God this morning that I would be able to speak with authority and with clarity. And I pray for all of us as God's people gathered, the royal priesthood that you have gathered here this morning, that ignited and anointed with this preaching of the spirit, Lord, we would go from this place supercharged into ministry in the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe see. Um, this is Pentecost Sunday, and I don't know if you are uh, familiar with the Anglican Church. Some of you have been here before. Some of you haven't. Some of you may be guests this morning, and your, your background isn't Anglican, and so you don't know what to expect. Uh, don't worry. If you are Anglican, this is probably not going to work out like you thought it was going to work out either, because we are that kind of Anglicans. We do believe in the present power and the working of the Holy Spirit. We believe that he's alive and active in the church. You know, as we come to this text this morning, all that we heard from, especially from the book of Acts, uh, I have a confession I need to make to you. Um, yeah, I do. I want to I make a confession to you. And here it is. I have absolutely no idea how to reach the millennial generation. I don't know how to reach this millennial generation, the late teens, 20s, 30-something. I have no idea how to reach them with the genuine, saving, life-giving, life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and returning in glory. I don't know how to do it. I, I find myself clueless. Uh, as particularly, not just about a lot of stuff, but particularly about how do I reach this generation with the good news. And sometimes I have to tell you that I, I almost find myself at a point of despair. In fact, I have to confess that sometimes um, that I find myself uh, really kind of depressed about it because I want to make a connection. And I just don't know how to do that. Now, you see, my generation, the baby boomers, were just as lost and certainly no more, uh, no more immoral or no more moral than the millennial generation. The boomers and millennials are just as lost. They're two generations just as lost, or as we would say, lost as Easter eggs. Both generations need Jesus just as much. But I seem to, I knew how to reach my generation. I, I don't know how to reach this one. Let me offer some very broad generalizations about what I'm talking about this morning. Let me give you some generalizations about what I mean by this inability to reach this generation. By the way, um, these are broad generalizations, but I have cleared these. These have been approved by a real live millennial. So I actually ran by and they, they said, I asked, is this, is this fair? And they said, yes, this is fair. 
See, my, in my generation, we had a sense of a God-shaped void in the center of our being. In fact, you might have, uh, if you grew up when I grew up, and you recall watching Billy Graham, maybe on a black and white TV set with rabbit ears, and of course, tinfoil, because tinfoil made it better. And, and, and Billy Graham would say something like that. I mean, he, he knew he was reaching us when he said, there's a God-shaped void in your life, you know, and that there's an emptiness in your life. And we knew what he was talking about. There, there, there was this sense of purposelessness, of hollowness, of meaninglessness. And when someone said to us that Jesus is the only thing that can fill that God-shaped emptiness in your life, for many of us, those who received the gospel accept us, we were like, finally, now we know. There's Jesus, and I can, I can have him in my life, and there will be a fulfillment and a purpose and a meaning to my life where there wasn't before. Another thing that we, we, we found as uh, boomers is we had a personal sense of personal sin, a personal sense of personal sin. We acknowledged that we did bad things and that we were responsible for the bad things we did. Now, we may have behaved immorally. You remember the 70s? <laughs> Yes, that's exactly the right answer. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. <laughs> we, may have, we may have behaved immorally, but we believed that we were behaving immorally. We believed that there was a moral order to the universe and that it was probably expressed in something like the Ten Commandments. So deep inside, we actually knew we were sinners and that we needed something to fix that. And when we heard the gospel, we found the remedy for sin in Jesus Christ. All this is to say that the Christian assumptions that were the basis for Western culture, for Western civilization, still had power to shape our imaginations and to be the framework for what we saw to be the true, the good, and the beautiful. And so there were receptors in that generation that where the gospel seemed to connect. But the millennial generation who are now, as I said, in their late teens and 20s and their early 30s, who comprise the largest number of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that, that population group in, in North America that has no religious affiliation. Therefore, they're the nuns. When they say, what are your, what's your religious affiliation? They say none. Uh, those who, uh, th that generation is vastly different from what I just described. We were godless. The, <laughs> the, uh, the boomers were godless. We were pagans. But we were discontent and restless pagans. Millennials, on the other hand, are much more content in their godlessness. We may they may have a God-shaped void in their life, but they haven't identified it as such. They may feel empty and purposeless and hollow, but they just figure that that's the way life is. That there really isn't any purpose or meaning so I shouldn't have purpose and meaning. In fact, I, when I was talking to a millennial about this, and I was going through this list, and I said, is, is this accurate? This is what they said to me. They said, yes, embrace the void. Wow. So they stuff down that feeling of emptiness, and they try to fill it up with what ranges from one extreme of self-indulgent self hedonism to the other extreme of principled social activism. And if there are great metaphysical questions in the life of the millennial, they're not sure about the answers, 
but they, they are sure that whatever the answer is, it's not Jesus. You know, they believed all of the positive affirmations that their boomer parents gave them, all the self-esteem stuff we built into their life and we taught them, and they believed that. And so while sin and evil exist in their universe, they, are far, they have a far weaker sense of personal sin. They are far less aware of being personally sinful. The closest thing to a sense of behaving immorally is the moral energy that many of them place on being food Puritans. You know, the way their grandmothers thought about sexual morality is how they feel about GMOs and about gluten and about principled veganism. But mostly sin and evil for them don't reside inwardly. It resides as a force. Uh, It resides in the retrograde and recalcitrant remnant Preachers have to alliterate every now and then. That retrograde and recalcitrant remnant who insists on clinging to the old moral order and probably watches Fox News. So instead of being, instead of bearing a personal sense of the weight of a personal sin or personal sinfulness, they actually feel fairly self congratulatory. For embracing the new moral order and on being the right and on being on the right side of history about everything, so they don't have that. Need, they don't have that sense. I need a savior. They don't feel like they need a lot of saving. The world might need saving, but me personally, I'm, I'm doing all right. Now, please don't get me wrong. Millennials are no worse than boomers, and probably in many ways, they're a better generation than we were. But they are just as lost as we were, and I think that the one difference is that they have fewer points of reception in their lives, fewer points in life that, where they make a connection with the claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that is a real difference. There's fewer places in their lives where the gospel seems relevant to them. And that being the case, I have to say that I am at a loss on how to reach them. And that's why I am so glad that today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day when God poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. There, are, there were many reasons that the Holy Spirit was given. Jesus gave us some. You, 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 I'm sure you picked up on that in the reading of the gospel that Jesus did. <laughs> it's printed in English in your bulletin. There's many reasons for why the Spirit was given, but one of the main reasons was to empower the church to proclaim the gospel in every generation. Every generation. Listen to what Jesus said back in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and verse 8. And whilst, while staying with them, while Jesus stayed with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Listen to what the Lord says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power to be my witnesses. 
Jesus told those first disciples to remain in Jerusalem so that they could be empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach their lost generation of Jews and Gentiles with the good news about Jesus. Now, I can guarantee you that whatever those devout Jews from every land, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamian, uh, Cappadocia, and Pontus, Pamphylia, you know, those, the, I, whoever reads that, you know, well done, David. Uh, you know, that's always, the, that's always the text that people dread to be given to read. You know, you have all these places, but they're just from everywhere. And whatever those people from all over the ancient Mediterranean world were thinking on that day, whatever they thought the great question of life was, or whatever the Gentile uh, world of the first century thought the great question of life was, no one in that generation thought the answer was Jesus. Nobody thought the answer was Jesus. None of them imagined that a backwater rabbi who got himself crucified as a criminal had any relevance to their lives. Of all the things in the world that would be relevant, Jesus was not one of them. And yet there's Peter preaching to the crowd on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. So how did Peter do it? I mean, how did he draw the crowd? How did he draw that multitude together? How did Peter manage to do that? Well, he didn't. The Holy Spirit did. Listen to what the passage says again. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. How did Peter do it? He didn't do it. The Holy Spirit gathered that crowd, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Well, that, well how did Peter strategize to reach his generation? Uh, how did he plan and craft his message so that it would just be perfect for his generation? He didn't do it. <laughs> he didn't. The Holy Spirit did. Again, listen to the passage. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Well, how did, how did Peter, okay, so how did Peter change the hearts then and uh, the, change the hearts and minds of those listeners so that they knew that they were sinners, so that they felt the weight of personal sin and their need for a Savior and that Jesus Christ was the only one that could save them? How did he pull that off? Well, he didn't. The Holy Spirit did. Listen again to what it says later in that text in verse 37. Now, when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart. And who did it? The Holy Spirit. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you this, I do not have a clue on how to reach this generation, but God does. God does. What if, what if what we need to reach this generation isn't so much a strategy or a Pew Research study or 
unapologetic, but the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit. What if Pentecost Sunday isn't about talking about the Holy Spirit? What if Pentecost Sunday isn't about talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but actually a time to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be empowered from the Holy Spirit, to be clothed with power from on high so that we can be His witnesses to the greatest generation or the boomers or Generation X or the millennials or whoever is coming next down the road. So that's what we're going to do today. In fact, this whole service has been constructed and, and, and so that we would have the space to do that. So that during Holy Communion, we're going to have a time of extended worship. And I want you to worship during Holy Communion. So when you when you're come up to receive the Lord's Supper, we're going to have a lot of singing. And I want you to really enter. Don't be spectators. Don't be that kind of tater. <laughs> be a participator. <laughs> be a worshiper. And during that time, we're going to have prayer stations set up here throughout this sanctuary where we're going to have people to pray with you. So, and here's what we're praying for this morning during Holy Communion, that we be clothed with power from on high, that the Holy Spirit would come and empower us to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, listen, brothers and sisters, I told you that I was at, uh, almost at a point of despair about how to reach this generation. But I have seen the Holy Spirit break down walls and obstacles to the gospel in a way that I could have never imagined. And I have hope this morning that this is not a lost generation. There are people who think they've got barriers built up against this Jesus thing that their parents have taught about. He's bigger than those barriers. Watch out. <laughs> now, listen, I was, in, I was in Scotland. I was in Scotland last year. And I was walking on the West Highland Way. And I was eating haggis every morning. <laughs> I was, actually. I love me some haggis. Let's don't talk about what's in it. It tastes good, though. And so I was in Scotland, and I was hiking. And the first day of my hike on the West Highland Way, um, there, are more, there are more Germans in Scotland than Scottish people, evidently, at least walking on the West Highland Way. Everybody I met, every other person was a German. And I met this young German woman. Her, her name was Wiebke. And so uh, Vibka and I began to chat as we walked along the way. And we got to the first hostel. She was staying in the same hostel I was. It was actually a, used to be the old church hall for a Church of Scotland church. And so she stayed there. She didn't know I was a preacher. I was totally, I didn't even have a beard. You know, not, uh, you know so I, was, I was totally incognito. And so she is, uh, she's walking with me. We're talking along the way, and I, don't, I, I got off on some crazy story my friend uh, Greg Jinks had told me about uh, a woman who had, because we, we had, she couldn't believe we actually had animals in North Carolina that will eat you. <laughs> on the Appalachian Trail, we got stuff that will bite you and eat you. And I just told her a story about a woman that got eaten by a bear. She liked to feed the bears. She got eaten. It was in the eastern part of the state. It was a horrible, horrible story. But I remembered, as I was telling her the story, my buddy Greg Jenks had told me at least she had died doing something she loved, giving a bear a meal. And, and that was horrible, and I just started laughing. She didn't know I was a pastor, okay? She didn't know I was a minister. And I started laughing uncontrollably because I'm thinking about this thing, and she's, she thinks this is totally inappropriate. And, but, but somehow, in the midst of that, the barriers began, began to come down. Vipa's 23 years old. She's from a post-Christian co country, post-Christian Europe. 
And for the next two days, as we walked along, more and more of the barriers fell down. And by the last day, we were sitting outside of a pub under an umbrella around a table. And I, was, and I got to share. the. And it just was so natural. I shared the gospel with her. I didn't, I didn't have to think about what to say. It was so much joy in, in being able to do this. I was crying. She was crying. How did that happen? How did the Holy Spirit, it, it was the Holy Spirit. He touched her heart. He cut her to the heart with the good news about Jesus. And she was aware of her need for a Savior. This is not a lost generation. But we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach this generation. Folks, there is so much hope. We've got, listen, oh God, please, Lord, this is my prayer. In this community, in this church, empower us to spread the gospel with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Give us good news that will reach this generation. Lord, I pray that we would see it happen in this church, that people here now in this congregation would see the fruit of their witness. Brothers and sisters, we're going to pray for that during Holy Communion. So as we move into this next part of the service, I want you to begin to pray, prepare your heart to, be a, a, to come up. Listen, we're going to have prayer ministers, like I said. Don't make us, don't make us feel bad by not coming and getting prayed for. <laughs> you know, Jesus, you know, it, when he said, you're going to be clothed with power from on high, the disciples didn't say, oh, just the extroverts? No, the converts are clothed with power from on high. You can be prayed for, and you, God knows your personality. He will empower you and equip you in the way that you need to be equipped and empowered to be his witness. So prepare your hearts for that now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.